You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, and co-host of Fox Hills Location, Location, Location Australia. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner, mortgage broker, and wealth coach. And together, we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Veronica will introduce our guest in a moment, and I can tell you that you want to listen on to find out what he has to say about Chinese investment in Australia and how they can buy a visa. So you've got two criteria in Australia for, for a Chinese investor. One is um, it's an opportunity for me to earn a permanent residency in another country mm-hmm. um, by going through the process, and the Aussie process is now really well set up for that. Run, right. run a company, run it for a couple of years, to tick, tick all those boxes, and the governments are quite happy they're satisfied with that. Please stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Bootcamp. And we have a cracking Dumbo of the Week coming up. So before we get into the interview with Cameron, just one thing I want to mention. We interviewed Cameron in September 2017, and sometimes it takes us a while before we get these episodes out for you to listen to. Now, since then there's been some developments. We talk about Opal Tower. Now, I had just heard about this and we had some interesting discussion around the planning side of things. Obviously, since then, there's been some terrible developments with this particular building and a lot of press. So I just wanted to let you know that this conversation was had some months beforehand. We want to do a follow-up episode on this topic at some point. And I've been trying to get people to come in and be interviewed for it. It's going to take us a while, but keep tuned and we'll keep you posted on that. Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. In this episode, we pick the brains of Cameron McQueen, Major Projects Director at PAI Group. What is PAI Group? Pan Australia Investment is a multinational property development, property marketing and investment organisation. Their clients range from investors looking for excellent returns, that's what they say, uh, via property development, through to the finished product purchaser, the home buyer. Now, as you know, Chris is particularly biased against new stocks. So this is going to be a very interesting chat. (laughs) Cameron has had one hell of a ride in his career. After founding his own warranty business and successfully exiting to a bigger company, he moved to Shanghai for five years where he learned all about the Chinese way of doing business. In 2017, he returned to Australia to run the major projects division of PAI Group. And it focuses on helping Chinese investors in particular to buy into the Australian property market. Now, Cameron has a brilliant understanding about what Chinese investors are looking for, how they are obtaining permanent residency. And this will be a very interesting chat about what's happening in the foreign development world in Australia. And I must say, you're a brave man because neither Chris nor I are fans of buying brand new. But we do love to learn. So thank you for joining us, Cameron. Thanks, Veronica. Thanks, Chris. And it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, I, I would say if I wound back the clock six years or seven years, <clears throat> I could never have envisaged that A, I would have moved to China and B, I would have come back and be working with such a group. So it's been a, a roller coaster ride, but it's been absolutely fantastic from a learning point of view and experience point of view. It's, it's an intense way of, uh, of life in China and everything <laughs> that they good. do, including building, development, um, they do try to push a bit of that mindset out to other countries. Some of those countries do need it. And uh, some of them do need the investment, yep. but it's, um, it's certainly an eye-opener, absolutely. 
well, China obviously is going, growing at a stupid rate, as for so long. At some point, it'll be the biggest in the world economy, and everyone's just a bit, un, you know, unsure how this is. This China story is going to kind of continue. So I imagine just working there for five years, I'd love to learn some of the learnings. You, how do Chinese think, and especially around property in particular, like what's their, like the Australian dream, for example, is what's the China dream? I guess around property. No, that's a good question, and that's that's something that I would dare say would have evolved. So when I moved there in 2012. And people are talking about your house. Oh, where are you living? What what sort of what is what is your house? Where is your house? They're actually referring to an apartment. Mm. So a house is actually technically a house, but it's now so common. Everyone lives in an apartment in the big city. So they use the word household. We use the word home. Yeah, they do have a word mm. for for apartment. Mm. Gong Yu is an apartment, but everyone just says Fangzi, which is just means house mm. because it's just a normal thing to live in an apartment. Yeah. If you want to live in a house in Shanghai, then you better have let's say 15 to 20 million Australian dollars to buy a two-story house. Wow. It's just, I would have thought that was cheap. Just the land value. <laughs> cheap. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I, yeah. I need to, so where are you? Uh, what's your background? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean in Shanghai. I'm, t- I'm talking uh, contextually. Yeah, I mean, uh, there, there's the first point, right? So yeah. we go house, land, backyard, kids. They go naturally straight, always think apartment. So, always think apartment. Always yeah. think apartment, yeah. Well, they have to. They've got this massive population, right? This is the only way it has that many people is to go you, up, you right? got to go up. You can't keep going out. Yeah, you just yeah. cannot keep going out. And so what they've evolved into is just become a – they're just – they're so good at developing these these small communities called a xiaochu. This means a, uh, it's a, it's an area where you have a – essentially it is a community inside. So it might, it might be 500 metres by 500 metres mm. squared. And inside there, the one I lived in for a number of years was um, – we had 29 apartment buildings. It's about 900 apartments. And inside, it was it's just beautiful. There's there's water, there's facilities, there's yes. there's gardens, there's yeah. heaps of kids play area, there's sports grounds, there's tennis courts, and everyone hangs out there in the middle. In summertime, you got fountains, the kids mm. tearing around in there. It's actually a beautiful place to live. Yeah, and so, so like a resort. It's almost like a miniature resort, yeah. but you're smack bang in the middle of the city. Yeah, but is that common, or is that you know a certain portion of the population can afford? This is the high end, and majority's just kind of cookie cutter, or is it? a lot of it quite high end that's the modern style now okay. that's the modern style and as you get further out and so what, I mean we're, we're talking about a place that has hundreds of cities that are bigger than most of our cities so, yeah. Yeah. so when I say oh, I'm from Melbourne they say oh how many people there four million oh that's a pretty small city it's like country um, town to you. yeah <laughs> that's, that's like the equivalent of Walshi City that's like a tier three tier four you know it's, it's, mm. um, oh, wow. that's pretty small but so if you go to these um, you know, tier one or tier two cities as you get further and further out the development doesn't stop. So I, I have no idea how many cities I've been to, all all the different tiers. Mm. Lucky and fortunate enough to have this opportunity to travel. But everywhere we went, there's cranes everywhere. Mm. Mm. It's like how many apartments, how many people need to live in new apartments? So it's a non-stop evolution. And so they keep demolishing them and rebuilding them, right? Well, right now you're going through the phase of demolishing those those old buildings, yeah, the, yeah. the things that are a bit run down. Yep. And so in, in, I was there last week having another look and some areas that I know to be really old, you know, two or three stories, you'd call them townhouses, I guess, originally. Mm. And that's just, they're surrounded by more high rise. So they're just Warfed. sequentially removing this old stuff and building the new mm. ones. And of course, you get more, more bang for your buck. And so the way it kind of works there is if you're a, a family that's been there for some time or the government will take you out of the home that you have maybe you've owned for some time and they'll provide you a new one you know it's like we're renewing the city you'll get a new one kind of like it was communist right so they can force you to do that 
to some extent. Yeah. yeah, to some extent. But there is home ownership there as well, right? There is, yes, but there's probably not what we would call, you know, dirt ownership. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. So that's actually it's quite common to have if you have a a piece of land, then that will get leased to someone who will then lease it on to someone who's going to build something who will then lease it to a management company who will then lease it to oh, the God. so you have like three or four or five layers, layers of right. of leasing and responsibility and it kind of works because oh. everyone's responsible and everyone's dare I say it, clipping <laughs> clipping the ticket along yeah, the way yeah, yeah. yeah and so do you know in Australia right you're a property investor it's, you know it's a you know you can be a property investor in China do people just become property investors within the country absolutely yeah like and everyday people or is it just yeah, to to a, to a certain limit. I mean, if you if you look at what's it cost to buy an apartment that's maybe a hundred square meters, um, I've gone into tiny little towns where I've been racing bicycles up in the hills, and you find this beautiful little city, brand new apartments being built. They look like the same ones that I live near in Shanghai. And so you go and ask them how much per square meter, and it'll be like three percent of what the cost is in Shanghai for mm, the same thing. Right. So of course you so of course you can invest in different areas, and the same as Australia. What's the growth going to be? Um, but while I lived there, that five-year period, it more than doubled. So the apartment I was living in, I think, was 104, no, the last one, 190 square meters. So it was a beautiful four-bedroom apartment in a great area. The rental yield would have been tiny, one or one and a half percent or something. It's, it started at about $2 million. And while I was there, it was close to $5 million by the time I moved out. Mm. So they crazy. don't build those type of four-bedroom apartments here. Like, it's just very uncommon, developers. And so Actually, these kind of communities... Yesterday. Right. Weirdly enough, in Sydney, um, it's called Opal. It's at Olympic Park. And apparently the next one's Boomerang. And literally just talking to an urban planner yesterday, he was telling me about it, and they're deliberately designing. And it sounds on this very similar idea. Yeah. You know, it's very much built as a whole community with families in mind, you know, music rooms and tennis courts and, you know, the whole um, facilities for for, yeah. for families. And and also deliberately with owner-occupiers in mind. So apparently 60% of, yeah. of the... The off the plan sales were to owners, uh, owner occupiers, as opposed to um, to investors. So that just yeah, because the developers have to move on and change with the times, and yeah. now they can't sell to investors, and they're going well. Who's well, their yeah, next buyer? This, was, this is actually this is that's been sold that one, and they're actually oh, already right. in, in um, construction on the second building. So these guys Forward are thinking. way ahead of their time. Yeah, yeah, massively so forward thinking. I only I'm, just heard of this yesterday, so yeah. I'd love to find out who is behind that. If it's if it's the thinking, if the thinking's mm. from Hong Kong or Singapore mm. or somewhere in China, I would completely understand. Yeah, yeah. And there it's really about convenience. So when we move back, yeah. we come back into the suburbs in Melbourne and my wife's going, oh, it's 8 o'clock at night. I just need to, oh, I've got to hop in the car and duck yeah. up the street. And so we're, we're just used to sending a message to the yeah. local store and five minutes later they're knocking on the oh, door. No, you've got so a I mean, helper as well. Come on. You've got a helper as well. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> you don't have to send the message even. God. So so, <laughs> so then I guess here, the Australia, um, a lot of Chinese investors. And what's is it predominantly, what percentage of your work you do is Chinese investors? I would say because the, I mean, look, the reason I came back to work with this group is I had met a, um, some of their investors, a VC company who were looking at investing into my business in China, and through that we just identified that they they had a a massive need to sort of connect more with the local market. So the Chinese team, Chinese investors, they were doing roadshows around China, um, attracting investors to to help build a multitude of um, of sites. And so when I when I came back, the it was really a, if you can imagine, we the three of us go to China, and okay, let's say we can speak a bit of Chinese, but to to get everything done, you need the connections mm. and you need some some local mm. knowledge and know how. So I guess to do that, fixes, 
Yeah, well, I mean, even just to be able to deal with the tradies <laughs> and to deal with, you know, the yeah. banks and that sort of thing. So that's, I mean, that's, I'm a local here. So for me, that's that's pretty easy. And I speak a lot of the, the local language because I've been involved in property for, for a long time. So that's really what I came back for. And one of the focus points was we need to expand this model into the into the Aussie market. And so what's the model? The model is property development is such a normal thing in China. So normal. I mean, any day you could choose from a thousand different opportunities to, to invest into because they're just going on everywhere, as you can imagine. So there's some pretty set criteria and, and you won't get someone invest into a project unless they can earn about 20 to 25% per annum. If it's under 20%, it's, it's just, I'm not even interested in looking because there's so many more I can choose mm. from. So you've got two criteria in Australia for, for a Chinese investor. One is um, it's an opportunity for me to earn a permanent residency in another country mm-hmm. um, by going through the process. And the Aussie process is now really well set up for that. Run, right. run a company, run it for a couple of years, to tick, tick all those boxes, and the governments are quite happy. They're satisfied with that. That's a good so, way so to get investment in. So you're saying they could set up a, a little project management company or a, a property development company? Just just run it as a, as a company structure. And that, and that and, just- solves the problem. I'm not going to give any legal advice here, but, <laughs> no, but I'm just no. saying that that's, that, that, that's, that's, that's the entree. That, that's, that's kind of how it works. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's a lot of businesses that help that. And it's the, the requirements are different, say, in Hobart versus Melbourne. Melbourne's mm. much more expensive. And so you might need to invest in two projects right. to, to, to reach the threshold amount. So give an idea. So roughly they might have to invest, say, three or five million dollars or something into a project. Yep. And once they go through that project and they employ people and they have a construction company, at the end of that, they've satisfied the, the Australian government's rules around what they need to do to get a visa. Yep. And if that's obviously successful and they've done all things correctly, they can get permanent residency at the end of it. Correct. That's right. Yep. So there's that's interesting, isn't it? Because there's not necessarily just investing in property. They're investing in a lifestyle or an opportunity. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, like I am here to say that the lifestyle there in the bigger cities is absolutely brilliant. Mm. I mean, we were back for a right. week. We we're, were back for nine days last week, last week and a bit. And my wife and kids came along. And after a couple of days, the kids said, "Can we just move back here, please?" Wow, it's, it's so good. It yeah. is absolutely fantastic. It's so lively. There's so much on. You got a in Shanghai City where we lived. You've got Australia's entire population in one city. So you can yeah. imagine the number of yeah. anything you want to do. You want to go skiing it's in the middle of summer? It. You can do that. You know, you want to mm. whatever you want to do. Um, so a how lot of a lot of people. They're nine and six. Right. Yeah. So you can well, imagine well a lot of people to enjoy it. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. But you yeah. imagine a lot of people. They they live their whole working career there to be able to come here and have a relaxed lifestyle. That's mm. great. But you got to keep going back to get the Adrenaline. otherwise you're, <laughs> you're you're a bit bored. You know. Mm. So, yeah. Well, I've got a friend that lived that lived in Hong Kong for seven years, and they would say the same. Yeah, they yeah. do, and and exactly that same thing about you know being in the building and and having everything at your doorstep and and you're living in a village. You know, yeah. connected, and you could you run out of something, or you mm. just want to catch up with a girlfriend and have your kids looked after and pop up, say hello, and you didn't have to worry about. You didn't have to organise things, and you were connected in a community. Um, it actually happening. is. It is really good. It's a great lifestyle. Yeah, and yeah. and you mentioned before, there's not many of those sort of four bedroom apartments. Mm. It really becomes a lifestyle. I've always been. I I grew up in Yarra Glen. I come from a place where there's a bit of space and land. Mm. And when we moved there, I thought, oh, I'll probably I'll just I'll just do one year because you know living in an apartment, I'm not sure I can handle that. Yeah. At the end, we're thinking, let's let's live in an apartment you're in the convert. middle of in the middle of <laughs> Melbourne, yeah. and we'll have some land out further for the you know to get away. It's mm. it's completely changed my my thinking and my approach. So, yeah. do a lot of Chinese 
at some point want, are they looking for a residency as a backup plan or are they looking here, you know, to move here because they want to have a better life for their kids or whatever it is? I'm just wondering, I'm wondering how to answer that. I don't want to, <laughs> there's, look, right. there, there's a whole conversation there that we could have. Mm. People have different motives. Some are in it just for the international education. Yep. Um, good universities. I'm not not saying that the universities in China are not as good. Some are there just just because of the competition. So mm. to get into university there, you have to the amount of dedication that people have to go to 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 to, to get a spot in the wow. right high school or the right well, it university. Makes sense, it's, right? it's intense. Yeah, yeah. it's massive. More people. Yeah. And, and if they've all got tiger moms. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> as yes. opposed yes, to come here yeah. and the only other kids with tiger moms are the other Chinese kids. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the white kids like my daughter, you know, that she does not have a tiger mum. Um <laughs> You know, she's a disadvantage when it comes, you know, from the pure academic sort of sense. No, you're, you're spot on. I mean, mm. I remember when, when my daughter was uh, three or four and she's going from, because they start school at like two and a half. Mm. Oh, do they really? Yeah. Wow. And so we're in there, she's, you know, she's going into her second year of school and uh, and all the mums are going, now, which, which school are you booked into? And which school are you booked into? And I remember saying to them, listen, just calm down. Just like it's five, six years away. And they go, listen, you, you have no idea. You know, oh, we're under pressure. Feel that anxiety. We are under pressure yeah. from the day they're born just to to get everything happening and laid out and in place, and that's why they're doing English lessons after school, piano lessons after school. So you said there's two reasons why they what Chinese investors want. One, they want the residency, which you can see why the Australian government is, is attracted to that because you know, end of the day, that's millions of dollars that wouldn't have been here unless they gave them an option to buy a residency and also do a development. So it's bringing money into the country. Secondly, when they do move here, then they, they are gonna bring money with them. You know, potentially it's through universities or it's the schooling or it's tourism or it's family. And so migration is bringing a lot of money in. What's the other things that Chinese investors kind of want? You know, you said around 20% return. I th- yeah. I think, can, we, well, the- can we differentiate just, just for a minute here? Because um, there's the investor that's got a lot of money and is actually gonna invest in the development. And there's that in game as well, obviously of having, the return plus the the um, PI or sorry the PI yeah 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 um, the permanent residency versus the actual end purchaser who's I presume these developments are done for the Chinese buyer are they or are they done no, for the local buyer no that's a, that's a good question when when our products go on the market we we just put them on the market right um, you're not really going to be able to attract more money from overseas because people have the internet they can just look up and see exactly what they're worth so you can't sort of go shopping around the world and get someone to pay twice as much that's not that's not <laughs> it would be nice I do but, love you know, that myth because you, yeah. you do get that from real estate agents about mm. different you know buyers from out of area and some, yeah. sometimes out of area buyers do pay too much by the way but it's not about them paying that, that's too only much. on the Gold Coast yeah only- <laughs> and, and it's not so much about oh I'm paying too much for a three bedroom two bathroom apartment for argument's sake it's more yep. the fact that that particular apartment doesn't have local appeal so i'm paying too much for a substandard asset yeah. so it's a totally different conversation and i guess we'd be keen to get into the design and what lays behind you know wh- who is your market who, wh- who are you specifically designing for yeah good good point so most of what we're doing is is townhouses mm. um, we are evolving into now some some larger sites which include townhouses and apartments and spreading into different cities we've got some projects so first project um, is well underway in Hobart um, but really what we're targeting is is the right fit for the right area um, so we're choosing places that are convenient because 
there's no point there's no point doing a, a, a cracking development and this is for anyone who's involved in developments or looking at a development or considering a development yeah, there's no point going and buying a site or a potential site that um, that doesn't tick all of those boxes and mm. you can go back and read any of the real estate books to work out you know it's location 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 you guys know that we all know <laughs> that everyone listening should know that mm. um, and then working with the right architects to make sure that what you are designing is going to fit the bill and that's that's not just it looks right yep. that's that's that the, the the interior and the the, the finish is mm. is going to match the mm. area and expectations of the of the client. If you if you're in Melbourne and you're building something in Box Hill, you're not going to build of a standard in Turak, but you're mm. also not going to build of a standard um, in the country. So mm. you, you you need to match the area and, and and set that up. So that's what we've been great at because we've done we've we've taken on more than a hundred projects over the last few years, and that's. The learning that you have there, and and you make mistakes. Mm. And anyone that does a hundred of anything is going to make a few boo boos. Um, and so what? And so just for our listeners, I guess how? What's some of the an example? Like just gives out of those hundred projects, just a snapshot of what the bread and butter was, you know, and, and is. Bread and butter. I want to well, go uh, back to the mistakes. Well, kind of. <laughs> I got. I got to save those for the end. Oh, good, good. Okay. But look, um, that's a really good question, Chris, because the market's been evolving quite quickly the last couple of years. So yeah. let's say two years ago we had some sensational profit margins on sites that we bought that were actually, they they came with plans and permits for apartments mm. and we threw those out and reapplied for townhouses and we had builders approach us and buy that for a huge sum. So that's interesting, yeah. isn't it? That you had a site with apartments approved and you threw that out and put townhouses. Why would you do that? Matching the area. So right. we looked at that and said, no one would want to buy an apartment where you're surrounded by houses. I love it in that yeah, okay. in that pocket, yeah. in that particular pocket. So, so it's got to match just... the air. It's got to it's got, people have got to feel comfortable in there. There's no point going and sticking a, a high rise building on the side of the Yarra River when everyone's surrounded by that's context. Huge big yeah. It's yeah. got to be it's got to so, match. So you actually saw an opportunity in a site in a site that had DA on it. Yeah. That the owner probably thought the DA was worth something. Yeah. And you saw that the DA was worth nothing. Um. And you threw just, it out. Yeah. Yeah. But, but there was still enough money to make money. Yeah. And a lot of these sites before, you know, were you buying in areas like, you know, Box Hill and things like that and then building townhouses? Is that kind of what you've been doing? That would that would be the majority. So the majority is, is close to home where we know the market, where we can see the trends. Yeah. Um, and I'm obviously the last, let's be realistic, the last six, seven months have been a, a downward trend. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kind of know, and I, I guess we're going to get there in conversation anyway, yeah. but you kind of know when... When that evolution of buyer that you're competing against to, to, to buy a development site, when that becomes a mum and dad with no experience, mm. then you know you've got to start stepping back. Yeah. And so sort of, I'd say October, November last year, we started to see that trend. Okay. And we were, we really, so first half of 2017, we bought 30 new sites. First half of 2018, less than one handful. Yeah. And that's so, because your feasibility studies on the site no longer stood up because the cost you had to pay for the land yep. had increased so much yep. that the profit margin reduced and you said this doesn't stack up doesn't so you just kept up. walking away from sites Correct. but those sites did sell and then they sold to mum and dad or or, or they came off the market what mm. we're seeing a lot of um, let's say a lot of people live somewhere for 20-25 years yeah. the agents have been telling them look it's perfect for a development site you're going to get yeah. 1.8 million well, they're not now. They're going to get 1.3, 1.4. They missed their opportunity. Mm. It may be a normal house yeah. that next door to it might be worth 1.3, but they think, oh, I'm going to get an extra half a mil because it's perfect for development. But if it's not, and no one's buying it, well, they're off the market. So yeah. how much 
Does market growth factor into your feasibility studies? It's everything. So part of our process is we we keep doing the feasibility study as we go. And like I said, you do 100 of anything, you're going to have some that don't work. Mm. So I'd say a, a handful along the way, uh, you just... Once you redo the feasibility part way through, you realise the the market swung around, and that's we. If we built that, you, you're not you're not going to get the profits that you, so what do you do once then? thought. Well, you can try for something else. You can try to try a different strategy. You, some of the, some of them some of them we're just hanging on to, and some yeah, we've yeah. just some we've just put back on the market and sold, and you make nothing. Mm. But that, that's okay. It's part of the game. Yeah. Well, that's the thing of, of development, right? Like it all comes down to what can you sell them for at the end, and yeah. if you can get that, and you're ninety nine percent sure you're going to get that, but when you're doing a development, you're doing it years in advance. So you're buying it, you've got to get your DA, you've got to get it built, you know, you've got to allow for things along the line. Until you can actually sell it, it's that's the that's the real risk. It's the market risk, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And and there's lots of people caught out right mm. now. Melbourne and Sydney. Wow. That's oh, big it. time. Yeah. It, I mean, have you been caught out? I mean, have you had development yeah. in, in the middle of construction when the market just suddenly put the skids? Yep. We, we had a whole stack that were lined up for construction to start this year mm. and we're just having to say let's just park those for now mm. other ones that fit the bill um, we'll, we'll keep moving on but then we've got some we've got this uh, a site in Hobart where the market just doesn't stop just keeps going and um, mm. how long do you reckon that's going to go for so our research and I'm not an expert in Hobart but when we <clears throat> last year interviewed a lot of agents down there they all told us the same thing you have five years of nothing and two years of huge catch up five years of nothing Two years of catch up, so we're in the middle of this two-year catch up. So they haven't talked about the years of drop though, because Hobart has fallen too. It hasn't just nothing. <laughs> yeah, but I think if you average it out since the, the yeah. since data, I know it's funny that you spoke to agents years, yeah. and always think agents never talk about the falls and yeah. prices. They talk yeah. about they talk about the normal That's true. market and a hot market. Good call. Yeah, <laughs> good call. But you know when I, I unless they all collude, unless yeah. they all. Get together they, they at the collude. pub and go. Let's uh, let's all tell the same story. They do, but, uh, and they don't have to get together yeah. at the pub. It's just they're all, you know. Oh, I'm yeah. an agent. You know, I get this. You're all taught yeah. that that's yeah. the way to. You got to think that way. Yeah. it's the way you got to keep moving forward, even when the. Well, you can't talk tough. down the market, right? Because no. you're only talking down your own job, and and unfortunately, sellers will go to the person that believes they can get the best price for the house. Yeah, and so if you go in there with a realistic, oh, I'll sell this place for a million bucks. And then, you know, Johnny walks in who's a little bit more realistic and goes, well, he's probably going to get 900. The seller will always go to the person, you know, promising a million because it's just a bias we have. So I guess um, if you're... <laughs> you're right. A lot of these people who were bought these development sites, like, have you... Because you've been watching that space, do you think it's quite prolific in the middle rings of kind of Melbourne where investors have bought these blocks for stupid prices and thought they were going to sell them at, you know, townhouses? Is that kind of what you've seen? Yep. There's, yeah. pl- there's plenty of that, yeah. yeah. And when you look in the end of last year, where the we would do a feasibility study, and we've got some 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 chunks of land that we bought, and we go out there and we have a look. Okay, we, that's probably worth twelve million based on everything else. But you know, anyone who does a feasibility, obviously, you're looking at local sales and, and, yeah. and what's going on. Twelve to thirteen, and then you, you have a look at auction, and it sells for sixteen, and you're thinking that's three mil. Yeah, wow. that's it's gone. Yeah, you know, before you even mm. do anything, so you get a little callback. Unless people can just hang in there and wait for things to keep going up, then that. But that's not really a proper way to think about a development. You, a development, you've got to be able to make the money when you buy the land. If you can't do that, then you got to go find another one. Yeah. Mm. And so, what do you think? Going, you know, because everything we're still going to need more townhouses. We're going to still need more apartments, and 
you know, if we're going to keep growing the population, we can't build more houses. There's no, you know, land left unless you want to go, you know, far west or far southwest, yeah. east. I mean, so what's so these these values? Are you going to because developers are going to come back in there and the planning laws can allow townhouses. So you, do you think that now we're going to see a bit of decline and you know a lot of people start buying in at lower prices to do these developments or? That is a great question. That is, I, I, I honestly don't know because the, I mean, the rules and the laws in Australia, are, it's kind of like it's, it's not. I mean, it's not like let's let's look at Asia, where the, the population's already there. You know, we it's yeah. a bit hard to sort of predict here. Mm. So, so we're assuming that we are going to get up to seven, eight million in the city. Mm. <laughs> you know, because yeah, the assumption. And, and what's that saying? It's by twenty fifty. So that's mm. that. Actually, yeah. it's a fair way, and there's yeah. a long time to sort of exactly. change things. I mean, Melbourne's still doing the spread. You look out north, and you've got new suburbs being created, new um, little miniature town centres being created with schools and hospitals and all the facilities there. Tra- you know, a train mm. station in the centre. You walk out there now. There's there's not a train station within. There's not a train line within twenty or thirty k's. So yeah. that's but got that's a train station. It being planned. Oh right. Yeah, being yeah, planned. That's Sorry. on the sales, sales documents. Oh, the th- that's on the. S- oh yes, I see yeah. what you mean. It's the dotted you're, line. Yeah, you're yes. standing. You're standing there with the map mm. going. Oh, I don't really see it, but yeah. uh, that's yeah. going to look good. What a great maybe. vision. That's a great vision. Mm. But the yeah, you know, the reality is Melbourne itself, and I, I have lived in Sydney for a few years. So I know. I mean, Sydney's. As you've said many times in your posts, Chris, like you can't go further than the hills anymore mm. out west, and obviously you can't go east. So you're spreading north and south. Melbourne is now more than a hundred k's from east to west. That's it's insane. A really good point. That's yeah. insane. So where do you go? And you just got to be realistic. You just can't keep driving out and building highways. So I look at my experience overseas, and I go to a city like Wuxi City, which is about an hour on the fast train from from Shanghai. It's only got four million people. I look at that and I go, that's like Melbourne, four million. <laughs> How do they build stuff there? Mm. And they have elevated roadways. They have fantastic train system. They have apartments. It's super convenient. Mm. It's actually a cool place to, to be. And it's mm. not spread out 100 Ks. Yeah. It's actually quite concentrated and it works. Oh, yeah. Australians in the bloody quarter acre block, I tell you. And it, it's amazing because when I grew up, you know, I'm a bit older than you, you cool hipsters, um, <laughs> you know this it, guy. Yeah. yeah, he's got a beard. Um, you know, it was it was a status symbol basically to have two cars and live in a, a quarter acre block. Who cares how far away you are from the city? Because being in the burbs in something new was it was a real status symbol, and you can see the change. And nobody want to live in the city because like that's where the slums are, you know. And obviously that it's that's completely reversed now. Before that, when we interviewed John Lindemann, go back to what episode that was, and he talked about, you know, we look back 100 years in Australia, how country properties were worth more than city properties. Yeah. You know, and so then, you know, the, the suburbs were valuable. Now the suburbs aren't as valuable as the, as the city. You know, there's potentially a complete re, rethinking ahead of us in terms of apartment living. I would have to think Absolutely. that we have to go that way. Yeah, and I mean, it's so hard to decentralise the city, right? Like, Because the jobs are going to keep on getting sucked back to the CBD and we're putting our people further and further away. And it's like, is it really efficient to travel 60, 70 k's to work twice a day? But we, we have this sort of... I think we're in this sort of hiatus in terms of our evolution. I mean, the thing is that everyone's talking about decentralising and working from home, for instance, but mm. then we need community. And it's interesting what you talk about. You know, you mentioned about Box Hill, for instance, before all these these individual block in Shanghai is basically its own suburb. Yeah, effectively, yeah, it is. Yeah, and it's like 
that's probably, you know, because human beings are social animals. You know, we don't really that's want to right. be 100 yeah. k from the city and working at home and then have to get in a... Anyway, I can ramble on about this for hours, but I mean... But but, but also, we can't go from one extreme to the next overnight because people people have got to get used to it. Yeah. I'll just give a really quick example of of adapting. I watch different uh, different companies come into China and try and do business. One of them, people might know um, the the UK brand of um, supermarket called Tesco's. Mm -hmm. So they came into China and they thought, right, we're we're pretty successful around the world. We're going to put a couple of hundred foreign families on. Now, each foreign family probably costs... I would say maybe 40 to 50 grand a month to keep there when you've got kids going to private school, rentals, yep. all this sort of stuff. So you've got 200 of those, so you're spending a fair bit. Mm. Let's bring in our model that we know works all around the world and we're going to push that out around um, around the cities in China. And then a few months later you realise, why is no one shopping there? Mm. Well, it's because Chinese people aren't used to that style. They actually have no interest. Mm. So and, what, and they basically look, had, a, had a mega store on the outskirts, did they? And they're expecting people to go to it? Is that no, well, they had a few of them. But the, the st- what I'm talking about, the style, let me give another example mm. and it'll make sense. Um, you've got Carrefour is a French brand. Yeah, yeah. They came in. They're setting up, um, setting up supermarkets, the same as they mm. used to everywhere else in the world. But they were smart enough to get consultants in and Gosh. say, guys, this isn't working from the get-go. What's mm. the matter? And so you mm. have proper Chinese consultants who understand, they come in, they go, guys, it's too boring. Mm. The aisles are too far apart. We'd actually like to bustle past each other mm. and smack into each other because that's kind of exciting. Mm. Um, and there's no music. You need wow. to pump this up, put some colour, put the aisles together, put heaps more stock in there and go for it. And it's crazy success. <laughs> mm. And guess what happened to Tesco? Gone. Yep, gone, yeah. yeah. Completely gone. Um, even companies like Starbucks came in. It took them 15 years to get it right. They've adapted their menu and changed their flavors. And now they're putting on like 50 new stores a day. Mind-blowing, isn't it? So, but, but it does that. It's, it, that shows you've got to understand your market. You've got to understand like the market. Thing. And you're not going to get it overnight. But also here, we're not going to evolve from the quarter-acre block to living in a high-rise um, apartment lifestyle within a generation. It's just not possible, no, I don't think. No, so... Therefore, some of these um, high-rise villages that are being built around, you know, our capital cities at the moment, then they are then developed for a market that wants that sort of living now versus, you know, and I, I'm, I'm going there with this that I know it's not only Chinese investors that have been buying into um, these yeah. brand-new developments. I realise that. But clearly it's been heavily marketed. They've been heavily marketed into China and that has changed too. I understand that this, it's not as easy to get money here now. Oh, is it's, that... it's this year is almost impossible. Right, you've got right. restrictions so at both ends. Yeah, yeah. Also, government, you know, banking's changed the lending. So you've got a lot of, not just Chinese people, but a lot of internationals who mm. put deposits on places, then they can't complete. Yes. We all know about that. Mm. Um, how prolific, have, from your stories, have you heard, you know, quite bad, you know, examples of that or people, big developments not being able to settle and things like that? Uh, well, I'd say that it's, it's individual, you know, whether it's apartments or things like that. We, we've been lucky enough. To, um, we haven't really had people caught out. In areas like Box Hill, have you seen any examples where developers haven't been able to settle like a lot of their apartments? No, see, Box, Box Hill, for, for those who aren't aware, Box Hill has been set up as one of the six sort of um, miniature cities around Melbourne to try and decentralise the, the city. Right. Box Hill's had 30 high-rise apartment buildings approved mm-hmm. in the last couple of years. One of them's been built, another one's half built. So you got twenty eight more of these things coming out of the ground, which was a was a nice little quiet suburb with a train station um, when I was a kid. Right. And now it's just going. It's going mega metropolis. How far is that from the city? It's a uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's about 
13, 14 k's. Oh, right. so far then. Yeah. Directly mm. east of the city. So mm. from my office in Box Hill, I can look at, I see the city. That's your base in Box Hill. Yeah. Mm. It's great. In fact, I don't even need to use English in Box Hill anymore. It's awesome. So you, you speak Mand- Mandarin, Cantonese? Mandarin, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so four, years, so five years living in in China, you were able to get fluent. Yeah, but we're just with a like a my vocabulary is probably like a six or seven year old, mm. but that's enough to do whatever you need to do. Yeah. Wow. Communicate. And so a lot of these um, notes is Chinese. It's enough to have really complicated conversations about property. Well, you're just talking price. (laughs) Actually, you're right. You're actually right. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, a lot of these Chinese investors, are these locals that are coming to you now? Um, Because I guess from, you know, a lot of our listeners, I think the thing for them to understand is that just the way that, you know, they think about property and investing and, you know, and it's a different way to a lot of Mm. Australians will think about, you know, property investing and, Naturally, they have a tendency to prefer newer kind of apartments and things like that because that's what potentially that, used to in China. That is a really interesting point. What I noticed living there was the you live in an apartment complex. There's always some um, I'm trying to speak Chinese. There's always some redecoration going on. Yeah, yeah. Zhuangshil for those Chinese listeners. So there's always some redecoration going on. So as soon as someone buys an apartment. They say someone else has lived in that. I'm not interested. Everything comes out. The, wow. the bathroom, the kitchen, everything. You know, you get the jackhammers in there in the apartment building, which is horrific to live yeah, in. There. It's so funny because I heard the exact same thing last yeah. week. They, mm. they in China, it's about building shell apartments. Yeah. Um, which I hadn't heard of before. Mm. Which is makes so much sense. Like, just build the building, but leave the interior of the apartment up to your personal preference. Mm. You, yeah, so this is a new cutter. trend. This is actually a new trend. So where ah. I lived, where I lived, so I went to the like the local um, uh, like little plaza area. We got lots of restaurants and lots of sort of um, services shops. Mm. And I noticed there last week that there is these interior decoration shops now where restaurants right. used to be. Wow. And I poke my head in the door and it's like, yeah, come on in and choose your everything. Like, like everything's here. Curtains, the tiles. Wow. I thought so that's an interesting trend. Settle on the apartment, get the interior designers in, pick your own kitchen, pick your own bathroom, bang, 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 job done. I'm talking if you buy, even if you buy an existing apartment. Yeah. You're not, you're not interested in those floorboards. You're not interested in the... That's just the mindset. of just I want it to be Make new. I want it to be new when I moved in there. I'd, so that's interesting, isn't it? So, you know, we talk about with um, one of the risks for... You know, your Australian resident buyer yeah. buying brand new is that if it's the beginning of a huge big complex is about to be built, and the next one bu- it gets built, it's newer and shinier than yours, and yours starts losing value. But they basically get over that by pumping more money into it, <laughs> effectively, and ripping the guts out of it and putting new kitchens and bathrooms and whatever. Yeah. I have a client. I had a client. We we bought. She's Chinese, but she's lived in pretty much every city in the world. Like she's extraordinarily well travelled. She's married to an American. And we bought them an apartment in Sydney, and you know we were making sure we got the right one. It took a, took you know, a few months um, to get the right one, and it was funny because she said, "Oh, it's funny. I don't really want to tell my my family back in China that that we haven't bought a property yet." And I said, oh, "Why not?" She said, oh, "Because they think there's something wrong with me that I haven't bought already. It's easy to buy property. It's easy." And she says, "It's like you go into the supermarket and you." Just get something off the shelf and yep. you just go buy a property off the shelf. That's yep. that's how you buy a property in China. And then I was I was curious too because I'd just been at an auction in the Upper North Shore in Sydney and there was some Chinese buyers there and they were going crazy hammer at tongs at this auction. And it was, you know, one of them was sort of doing this mental calculation. He had his hand sort of, it looked like he had an imaginary abacus next to him. Mm. And I don't, I don't want to, but it was like he was doing this weird gesture with his hand to 
you know, working out. It looked like he was trying to work out whether he had the money or not. I don't know. He's just making sure he put every bid in. That's is, that, is that what it was? I don't know. It was just this odd thing. And I just, yeah. they were going hammer at tongs. And the value of the actual property and the actual concept of the property itself just seemed to have gone completely out of the window. And there was one family having a chat and had a conversation between, before each bid. And this guy with these funny hand gestures. And I asked this client, I said, what is it? Why are they going so hard at these properties and why does it not seem to bother them that the property is what it is or isn't and and she said exactly that she said well they're going to gut it yeah for starters so what it is doesn't matter yeah but they look at the land around that and they just think oh my god for the same money in shanghai i only get an mm. apartment no no i'm actually going to get two well <laughs> yeah <laughs> but but it is that whole sort it of is. that's it yeah that, that is what it is even actually cars because i was in the car industry over there mm. and I couldn't wrap my head around what what is wrong with a two year old Audi A4. What, what's wrong with that car? It's got fifteen thousand k's on the clock. Yeah, but someone else has driven it. Right. Like and yeah, that's that's all. That's second hand. I have no interest in that. So is this like feng shui? Like is it the Chinese feng shui? Is it not feng? You know when the you know you meant to yeah. put your bed in a certain position, your chair, the you know air to go through. No, the building. I think that that actually comes afterwards. So you get the feng shui. Right. The feng shui master comes in once you've mm. once you've got it set up, and then the arrangement will take place after that. Is this to do yeah. more more psychology just around you know it's been a communist country, and they actually now have discretionary money to spend, and you know it, it, is it around that? I mean, I don't know, but it's it's a bit of a worry for the planet, <laughs> you know, in terms of the disposal. Mm. Um, but there must no. be some psycholo- something psychological in that because just that whole idea of that I want brand new all the time, it's... it's it is it is interesting. I still yeah. don't completely understand it. because mm. th- Look, there's always a market for everything. And so you've, you have your different levels of city. You've got your tiers one, two, three, four, five. You've got different levels of, of, of spare cash. Mm. And look, it is much easier to make huge money in the big city, which is why people are attracted to the big city mm. to start with. Um, but those those used cars will always find a, a place, and it won't be in the big city. Right, yeah, it will okay. be getting pushed out. Emissions. So we're, not here, we're not here to talk thing. about. Yeah, yeah, we're not here to talk about cars and emissions and that sort of thing. But it's but it, the knock on effect is um, is significant because it does roll into the property market. And obviously here in Australia, the the rules are now set up so that if you're a foreign investor, whether you're from India or mm. Malaysia or China, is, is the same. You, as you guys know, you can't come in here and just buy an existing house. Yeah, you have to buy something that's brand new. Or you can buy something to develop. Mm. Yeah, and that's the thing, you know. So that's that's what your company's helping them do, right? Do a development. They're buying existing land, yeah. yep. bringing money into the economy, or they buy something new. And you can see why, like developers would just focus on the Chinese market. You know, like it's, you know, their their needs are going to be a bit different. I mean, it's huge too. Let's face it. It's a well, that's well, right. Yeah, should load more Chinese with a lot of money than there are Australians with a lot of money. Mm. I mean, that's just a fact. Yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's that is just a fact. Yeah, yeah that's a fact. Yeah, and I guess so. What? So, I mean, obviously, they don't like um, you know Chinese investors prefer not to like number letter eight, number eight. Four. Uh, no, they they loving eight. <laughs> they love eight. Four. Four in Chinese sounds like the word for for death or mm. to die. Nice. Yeah, so they don't. So they would If you have a nice house and it's number four this street, Chinese investors or Chinese wouldn't want to live in that house. Not really. No. I, I sold my house with number forty-four, and I didn't have one Chinese look at it. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll go a step further. A lot of places, I a lot of buildings I've been in, buildings I've lived in, the elevator oh. doesn't have level four or, or thirteen or thirteen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sometimes, 13. sometimes thirteen or fourteen. It goes from twelve straight 15. to fifteen. It's hilarious, mm. and um. Oh, where was I? I went somewhere and they had like a they had twelve, twelve A, and then fourteen. 
I'm like, well, surely bother with the 12A, but um, just confuse, confuse things. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's, it's very interesting you say about the gutting thing because I reflect on a client, you know, probably, oh, God, five years now, probably, and um, he had a house in Kellyville uh, and uh, he's looking to retire and he was going to move to the Central Coast. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, no, like, you know, quite a few Asian investors are coming and I'll get to hold on. You know, prices are going up. And he did and he held on. And he ended up getting like one point, it was worth roughly about a mil at best. And then he ended up getting like 1.4 or 1.45 or something, right? And um, he's an English guy, he's, you know, and he, he sold that, moved to the Central Coast, got his cash and was very happy. Um, he's no longer a client anymore. But basically um, what he was, he said he went back because it was a Chinese family that bought the property. And he went back to kind of explain how the aircon works, the garage works, and, oh. and you know, <laughs> none of it was there anymore. It was empty. Well, and what actually happened is they completely gutted the place. Mm. They he had a beautiful renovated bathroom, oh, no. <laughs> and they put you know new tiles mm. in. They ripped up all his carpet and put tiles in, um, and they ripped out his plants. Um, <laughs> he was he was John, devastated. Do you want to know what's funny though? The International, like like Bunnings, these companies thought a few years ago, this is going to be Pay the dirt. best thing we've <laughs> ever done. So they've gone into China, but what they didn't realise is they, the the Chinese people paying for this, they have absolutely no intention of doing that themselves. They're, the oh, DIY so miss, doesn't exist. Market again. So, the market. so actually, yeah. So actually, the 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 oh, I keep trying to say the wrong the Chinese word. The the, the redecoration industry yeah, yeah. is a monster. So redecoration of homes, apartments, yep. and also businesses. It's just a massive, massive industry there. The turnover is the just tradies. astronomical. So, yeah. yeah, I guess, yeah, well, that's right. It's yeah, all of the employees, it's trading. Yeah. And therefore the skills. Like there's, mm. there's mega skills there. And I'm, I'm, when I say it's massive, I, I redid our office there. I spent we, we probably took two or three months. No, 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 it was less than that. It was probably two months. We had our office, which was multi-level, completely gutted and completely redone, modifications made everywhere. And the people actually lived in the office for those few weeks while they were doing oh, all the work. Oh, hilarious, yeah. Because mm. they weren't allowed to jackhammer during the day, mm. so that yep. would all happen at night. And so I walk in there one day, all oh, right, I'm just walking through some underpants hanging up here, drying. <laughs> um, but like, they just get it done. Yeah. They just yeah. get it done. I mean, that's what they always say, right? Like if, you know, for us to build the light rail, what, it's like four years of pain, um, in China, you know, they'll get, you know, 2,000 people and they build a new freeway kind of overnight almost. Like it's, you know, we're here, well, let's work, let's get this done, let's not disrupt oh, the city. They probably don't have our unions, they probably don't have our, um, yeah. you know, our 38 hour week. Well, I'm not going and... to diss, diss all the safety <laughs> no, you know, no, no, aspects no, no. that we you have here. No, don't have all those things. But, yeah. but, but there's, there's very common um, examples that are used. You know, in, in Australia, for, let's say above the tram line, we have a light bulb goes out. Mm. In Australia, we've got to wait until you know ten o'clock at night. We've got to have we've got to hire a crane. We've got to have all the witches hats, two or three people standing there with signs, some flashy lights, all this sort of stuff. We probably even need to ring the police, you know, yeah. to get them involved. <laughs> Whereas in China, a dude just gets up, puts a ladder up on the pole, another guy holds the bottom of it. They just change it, be done with it. It's done. So you call the ultimate can-do attitude. Just, just, just get it done. And and what was the cost differential there? Like mm. a thousand times different. Yeah. And yeah. so you may not, you may, did go there on a big point about getting the money out is nearly impossible. You said on the one side, the government here, it's, it's a bit harder. And then, you know, also on their side, you know, is it... Yeah, and this side... Like, so what's changed? Just the, the monetary policies. You know, if there's a something that looks like a, a, 
a flight of, of money out of China, then the, the, the restrictions you know, come in. And the, mm. it's sort of like a, a moving target. Mm. But if you think the last couple of years, you've got you know, things like Bitcoin, crypto creeping in, and you've got all these you know, um, digital exchanges being operated out of China. And of course, if people are then immediately able to buy Bitcoin with RMB, and then three seconds later, they can sell it in the US for US dollars. Yeah. Mm. So that's a way of completely getting yeah. around. So, so the government said, look, we, we're not going to shut these businesses down, but we don't want them operating in China because we don't understand the ramifications of this just yet. Yeah. So please, guys, take those businesses, get them out. They didn't mm. shut any of them down. They just moved them all out. So they're in Macau, Hong Kong, Japan. Yeah. Um, but that's you know that they, they just need to control. They just can't let. There's so much money there. It's mm. it's literally these cities are. I don't want people to take this the wrong way, but it's the place is dripping in cash. I've never seen so many Ferraris and Lamborghinis wow. and Rollers yeah. in my life. In a in a small spot. I mean, it's it's just yeah. mega. So it's mind blowing, and I guess it's no wonder then that they just turn their eye to somewhere like Australia. So well, let's just park some money in an apartment. Who cares whether we live in it or not? Who cares if the government charges a bit extra to buy the thing? Who, who, who cares if they charges the, the the council charges us a tax for it to be vacant? Who cares? I, I'd, I'd say you're right, Veronica. You're right to to a certain extent mm. because because the business mindset kicks in and and. And like anyone, they, people want a good deal. Right, they yeah. do want a good deal, and they mm. don't want to be ripped off. Mm. And yeah. so, what we're trying to put together as as Pi Group is some is a way where you can use the regulation to get your your PR, mm. and then you can enjoy a, an Aussie lifestyle. And and please come here, spend some money. That's what we're thinking. Come yeah. come here, spend some money, invest. That's great. Um, but you can also make a bit of money. And I like what a lot of them like to do is they want to they want a new house, but they can't buy a new house. Uh, they can't buy an existing house. Yeah. So they'll buy an existing house that they can split the block. And then they can build a nice big new one and another nice big new one next to it, sell that one, and then you get this one at a discount. That's doing mm. a deal. Mm. That feels good. And we've right. got a new house. Right, mm. right. We're set in the place where we wanted to live, where we couldn't buy another new one anyway. Yeah. yeah. So okay. it works. That, that, yeah. that works. Yeah. And not all Australian investors think this way anyway in, in that they'll buy something brand new and they won't think of the, the secondary market or the fact that there is none at the moment because of the, the changes in negative gearing. Um, so... <laughs> These buyers aren't thinking of the secondary market either, are they? Really? I mean, they're just thinking well, they, about what well, they, they, they want. They kind of can't. Yeah. I no, mean, they, they, yeah. They, they, so they sell the one that they can sell. Are, are you being brand new? Do they sell that to another Chinese often? I mean, I know you said before. Well, just, 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 it just goes on the market. Yeah. Just, yep. Yeah. just goes on the market. So what percentage would you say would be, is there any sort of potential or is there any typical pattern in terms of who buys those new the new ones? Because if they, if they are built in an area where the, where the Chinese want to come because... Yeah. Other Chinese have come there, and obviously yep. there's a community, and that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So it would suggest to me that the type of buyer that's going to go for the other half is Absolutely, likely to be yeah. another Chinese. Absolutely, yeah, hundred percent. If you build in Melbourne, if you're building in Box Hill, mm. then likely that I mean that's the highest density of, of Chinese people yep. moving into the area. I mean, I remember when I was a child. Let's give people some idea of how young I am. You wouldn't see any type of a uh, you know, Japanese or Chinese person mm. in in that area. And now, mm. like I say, I actually laugh with the people in the shops. Mm. They say, why do you speak some Chinese? I say, well, why not? Because just have a look around. I can't see any other people to speak English to. Mm. <laughs> and they're like, oh, actually, I never thought about it like that. You're yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, hang on, there's one. I was like, yeah, one. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> but wow, the other 300 yeah. we can see right yeah. now. Yeah. So, look, that makes, it makes perfect sense. But for um, yeah, we, we've got, we've got if, I'm sure you've seen our website at some point, Chris, but yep. the, the little red dots on the map, you know, the, mm. we've, we've got stuff all over the east side of Melbourne. And if, I mean, just whoever, whatever, whoever's, 
it goes on the market. Whoever's yeah. Yeah. wants to buy it can buy it. And it, look, it is interesting too because one of the things that you know a, a lot of people blame the Chinese investors for pushing prices up, and I've never been someone that. Um, has ever got on that bandwagon because when you do look at the data, it's something like the I think that uh, some data I saw, and you can correct me if you've got better figures, different figures, but of all the overseas investors, and I can't remember what year this was, 18% was Chinese. So, you know, it's a, it's yeah. a relatively small percentage. I mean, significant percentage, but yeah. it's still only, it's less than 20% of all the overseas investors. And I would say that's probably, that's, that's now, probably shrunk a little since then. Because That's the, interesting. That's really interesting. Because I'd love to see the stats, whether that's um, commercial versus residential, because ah, I, yeah, I saw the mm. stats in Melbourne, it was 2016 or 2017. I think it was 50, it was either 52 or 54% of the development sites in the CBD were bought by Chinese consortiums. Yeah, uh, yeah I think yeah. it must be residential yeah. then. So it must because, be residential. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of those aren't obviously going to go ahead and they're trying to sell them. And, you know, a lot of the numbers aren't stacking up. I think another interesting in China is they haven't got a stock market, right? Well, they have, but it's a growing stock market. It's not like in the US or mm. other places with lots of money where, you know, we'll put it into companies. You know, a lot of them, you know, see value and land as the option. So if you do yeah. make money out of your company, you don't go, well, I'll go and spread that across other companies. I'll spread that across property around the world. Um, and it makes sense, right? Like, you, you know, they'll go buy stuff in China or, you know, New York or Australia and... Um, it's hard for the country to say no, right? It's hard for the government to to say no. We don't want foreign investment because, end of the day, the government's there to you know keep the economy going, jobs and and things like that. And for them to say, look, no, we don't really want your two hundred million to to buy this. It's a big call and it's hard for the government. <laughs> well, look, realistically, we live in this country where our our facilities are pretty good. Mm. I think they're pretty good, but. As Aussies, we kind of want them to be world class. You know, we want the mm. best hospitals, we want the best schools, and and now my sort of let's say my internationalized brain from moving from living in such highly populated areas, my brain says, "But where do we get the money from? Yeah, because there's so where few do, of us. How do we? How do we? How do we yeah. have world class? How do we afford a, a train between Sydney and Melbourne? Yeah, like how do? That's going to cost a lot of cash. Yeah. <laughs> Who's paying for that? And and Realistically, we're already highly taxed. You can't keep cranking that up. The debt's going up, and the debt's going up. up. So, yeah. what what do we yeah. need? Everyone who comes from everyone that I mingle with that comes from a different country, they kind of laugh at our population. They say, "What this country needs is <laughs> it's got a huge, yeah, yeah. huge piece of land with no one living in it, mm. and uh, well, we, and we need more. We need Sydney's more people to be able to do something." Being fueled by immigration and. Melbourne less so. You've got you've got interstate migration coming into Melbourne, which is driving population growth here. And obviously Sydney's got more of the international stuff. Mind you, that might change now that Melbourne is no longer the world's most livable city. <laughs> when, did, when did that change? It's been invented <laughs> the most by Vienna, apparently. Oh. Um, I'm here to tell you. But, uh, you know, I mean, yes, we need it. And uh, the problem is, of course, you know, watch Q&A any Monday night and when the immigration um, topic comes up and there's vehement debate on both sides of the fence. So it's it's a contentious issue and we're all a bit um, we're all a bit racist in this com- in this country. I'd say not we're all, I'm, well, I try not to be, but we've been brought up racist. There's an elephant in the room. Um, mm. And so we're all learning not to be. <laughs> you yeah. Know, we're all learning not to be, but, you know, we're, we're the most multicultural country in the world, aren't we? Got to be one of. Have yeah. to be. I mean, apart, maybe maybe France. There's probably... Mm. 
Well, I think we're a success story when it comes to, to multiculturalism. And, and I have to say, I, for one, am very friggin' thankful for all the food we get to eat as a consequence. <laughs> I'm know? with you there. I'm <laughs> with you there. Yeah, no, that is, that is good. Every week we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing him a whole lot of money and or creating a whole lot of stress. Please, Cameron, can you give us an example of a property dumbo? We can all learn what not to do from these stories. <laughs> so I'm just going to talk about a, just a few property dumbos I've seen in the development space. And um, one I'm not going to talk about, I'm going to say it's in Melbourne, but we actually had a site that was going through the planning uh, process with council. It actually received an approval. So we have a permit. And then some weeks later, it was revoked. And the reason it was revoked was because one of the services companies came back saying, no, no, we've discovered an extra pipe running underneath this, uh, this property. Um, we're not allowing any development on that. Ouch. I was like, what? This is back in the early days when we didn't have a, a very thorough team, but actually there's been a lot more tools that develop or that anyone can use to, to check services now. So we'd have to say, we'd have to put up a hand and say, well, we should have picked that up. And actually, the, probably the council should have picked that up. Mm. No one picked it up. So we've had a couple of sites that have had, putting up the hand here and saying we have had a couple of sites where as things change and evolve very quickly in councils and you have a significant landscape or significant uh, different different overlays that come in to do with trees, yeah. you can really get caught out. So we, we have had a few. And I think that's a really interesting point for two reasons. One, um, yeah, it's like one of your biggest risks of doing development is getting through council and if it doesn't happen, then mm. you're stuck, right? Like, and it's, there's no there's no way no to find out plan. before you actually lodge a DA, yeah. right? So um, no. And so you can do as much as you can, and even if you got to ninety five percent, there's still that five percent. Mm. The other thing is, is just it's interesting because the councils have to be very careful with this. Is that if we do make our cities more dense, and they don't take care of like the water and mm. the sewerage and things like that. You've got to upgrade all those services in these areas. And this is what I... Retrofitting. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's very expensive to build bigger drainage and build more water and power lines mm. and things like that. Not so, only that, the disruption. I mean, yeah. it's crazy. crazy well, apparently, like this in Sydney, you've got the light rail extension, which has been going through Surrey Hills and out to the eastern suburbs. And one of the reasons touted for the extensive delays to that is that they have discovered all these extra services and pipes, yeah. 100-year-old pipes underneath that they didn't even know were there and then they create a whole new, they've got to resurvey the whole thing. They've got to and do this that. is for a country that's realistically only been developed new. for 200 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. What happens yeah. if you go across you go Europe? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you go to Rome and you can see, like, you know, yeah. anyway. But, yeah. um, so, but the tree thing's interesting. So you're saying that existing trees on, on the site? Tree, that, yeah, even just in... This year, actually, right. um, all across Melbourne, mm. some suburbs, some uh, councils in particular, they brought in much, much heavier um, tree tree, tree conservation, cons conservation yeah. um, regulations. We've had in the last couple of years, it's been all across the, the local newspapers, you know, some some poor developer that doesn't maybe have a, maybe it doesn't have a huge big history of, um, uh, or repertoire there, so he didn't know what he was doing. He mm. uh, ends up getting refused, so he gets the sads goes out there and chops every single tree on the lockdown called you know balding the place and that there we go front page of the local newspaper and then the councils have just decided that's it we're, we're issuing massive fines for this so they've literally changed the law so we had that about that may have been my mate um, could have so, been your mate here you go this not, is a big dumbo um, so that a, sounds of it a good friend who uh, runs a development company um 
Anyway, this is actually in Newcastle. Oh, okay. And um, they're doing a townhouse development in um, one of the kind of the, the suburbs. Um, anyway, it's about seventeen townhouses. Anyway, they got to the tree tree removal day, so they called in the I guess the landscaper and they gave him a site map. And on the site map is they had little circles around the trees. Anyway, some circles were black and some circles were red. Right, the red ones is you're meant to cut it down if it's uh, and the black you're meant to leave. Oh, he's done the opposite. Anyway, <laughs> so what's happened is uh, the the guy's come. He's made a call. He goes, "Sorry, mate, I've cut every tree down." And every tree, you and, didn't even um, actually get it no. wrong and just do the reverse. No, you printed <gasps> it in black and white. Oh no! Oh, <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> no! So that's a good excuse. This guy has, um, and he's you know, and he's very reputable, and oh, he was devastated, no. and so they've had to go to council. Uh, and apologise. Cap in hand. Because they've, yeah. they've cut every tree down. They're oh. only meant to cut a certain portion. So, um, yeah, sure. that's, that's a property done by there. I hope he had insurance that uh, Yeah, they got up. out of it somehow. Mm. I don't know how, but it was fine. But, um, yeah. Like this. Oh, my God. That's, that's a golden, oh, that's golden... Golden Dumbo. That is a ripper. I've I've also had one other very very quick one. I've had a, a family friend who developed a site, and uh, he had I think a, a row of um, native trees in the middle, and the council said you can't cut those down. He said, "Oh right, okay. So what would be the consequence if I were to chop those down? Is <laughs> we can get a fine for each tree?" He goes, "Okay, how much is that? Oh, it's maybe it's a couple of thousand dollars." He's going, oh, "Fantastic, easy." Couple of thousand dollars a tree, <laughs> so the tree cutters come in. And they start hacking away. They get the first three or four trees down. And then the police turn up. You're gonna have to stop and go away. So he writes out a check for the first few trees, and then a few days later they come back. Starts going again. Police turn up again. Writes out another check, and then they change the rules. They said you can't. <laughs> now we're actually gonna. Now the fine's gonna be astronomical. And for these last few trees here, we're actually requiring you to build a bridge over the root system to prevent. <laughs> Oh, oh, no. oh god! Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's Classic. um, oh. if you go around places like Wollara, Rose Bay, um, you can see trees that have been, yeah, you know, have been poisoned. So what they'll do is they'll cut back the bark, and then they hammer nails into the tree, mm. and then the the right nails rot, goes into the system, and the tree dies. Um, and it's quite common in, in places in Sydney because you know you get rid of the tree. Especially if it's got yeah, a harbour view. view behind it, yeah, um, you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, millions potentially, oh, um, and and extra extra buildings, yeah, yeah, you've yeah. more more space to build, yeah. I um, yeah, God, I've got a place that I've got plans approved. I'm going to start renovating. All going well, and there's a jacaranda just on the neighbour's fence on the other side. The neighbours have been great, not objected to anything or anything, but this bloody jacaranda is only half a metre from the fence. Now, in many councils, a jacaranda is viewed as a noxious weed. Mm-hmm. Mm. Unfortunately, not. No, 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 no. So <laughs> I've had this whole root preservation all about preserving, as I said, you know, what, what mm. is fundamentally a weed. Mm. But my neighbour loves it, and as I said, he's been a wonderful, wonderful neighbour throughout the DA process and all the rest of it. So let's face it, I'm not going in arguing on that, but it's, it actually is meant I can't have a garage, mm. so I'll have a... You have a tree. I'll have a car space. I'll have a car space, but won't have a garage just because of that tree. Mm. And what? An, an, an elevated. Oh, yeah. this, you know, yeah, you've got to pr- floor protect. Space. You know, you got to have water. Mm. Your rainwater's got oh. to go into the root system, and blah blah blah. It's quite yeah. a, quite a, a um. 
That's nice. Yeah. It's a lot of money <laughs> yeah. for yeah. a bloody weed. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Thank you, Cameron. That's been amazing. I really appreciate you taking the time. And um, for a lot of our listeners, you know, the Chinese world's just something, you know, very foreign to them. Excuse the pun. So, <laughs> um, yeah, thank you very much. It was yes. a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Some great insights in, you know, I just... It is a, an area of a lot of fear with a lot of Australians in terms of, you know, yellow peril and, you know, those Chinese are coming in here and taking our jobs and taking our land and all that sort of stuff. And um, But I think, you know, as you say, I mean, it's part of our future for this country, you know, and so I think we have to understand it better so that we can actually make better calls when that, we're that um, is, talking about That's this. exactly, that's a great call. It's, um, look, if, if people don't, grab a hold of that someone else is going to mm. and you know it's it's just what's going to happen it's it's the way the world is evolving um i always have a laugh because everywhere you go on planet earth you can find a chinese restaurant absolutely and uh, so and so it's it, i find that to me i find that absolutely phenomenal mm. and uh why not work work with that it's um there's, there's, there's no point trying to go against the grain. Oh, I mean, hundred. your point around uh, how we're going to build all these world-class facilities and roads, I mean, the Victorian government announced a $50 billion road network that they want to build in the next 30 years. Like, that's a lot of money. I mean, how are you going to fund that in a population of 5 million people in, in Victoria? It doesn't, um, it doesn't compute. You've no. got to do the numbers on it. And so, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, it, it's natural for the government and for us to want, if we want to keep the economy going and bringing money in and... Mm. You know, and property development is part of it, you know, and so I, I do agree. And you've also got to remember that the Poms came in here and robbed the entire country from the Aboriginals anyway. Yes. So who are we? No, so actually, exactly. we're, what you're saying, we're all foreigners. Exactly, yeah, exactly right. We're all, we're all members of the world. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Right. Okay. Well, on that note, thank That's you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. We want to make you a better elephant rider, and this week's elephant rider training is... Some food for thought for would-be developers. Uh, Cameron said some very interesting things about when the professional developers pull out of the market is when the mums and dads investors start stepping in and, and paying too much. So, and I think that there's some some advice in there, or, or definitely a warning for first-time investors because that is the most risky investor or the, the most risk-prone, if that's a word, investor in the market. And so if you haven't got the experience in this area, you need to buy or pay for that experience so that you don't pay in other ways. So I thought that was something really interesting. But the other thing that really needs to be thought through when you're buying anything really, any individual property, but certainly a development site, is what is your exit strategy? Now, there are a number of exit strategies that developers can have. It can be simply that they buy and hold and they're waiting for market to go up and then they intend to sell it as it is. Or it might be that they actually buy and they get a DA through and then they sell the site with the DA attached to it. It might be that they buy and develop and hold some of the stock and sell some of the stock. It might be that they buy and sell the lot. It might be they buy to retain. But you need to have a number of exit strategies because the market can change, costs can change, circumstances can change, and you need to pretty much have an A, B and C plan before going into any development site. So that's something to consider this week. (laughs) 
Please join us for our next episode when we go into the legal side of buying property. We interview Jenny Tonner, a conveyancer with three decades of experience, and we find out a few very interesting things about cooling off periods, about how unfair some contracts can be, in particular the risks around off-the-plan contracts. Now, that is really interesting. And all in all, why you need to pay a little bit extra for good advice as an insurance policy against serious complications. Don't forget we're on all the social channels. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. Or you can connect with us on theelephantintheroom.com.au. The links are all there for you. Please connect and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The Elephant in the Room property podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. Until next week, don't be a dumbo. Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.